Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I'm editing this one. Hell yeah. Here's a cool sound that I put in. Check that out. Yeah, what do you, what Take do you think Take that, about? AJ. <laughs> uh, okay, before, before we get... We have three games that we want to talk about today. They're all totally disparate. Really no reason to talk about any of them. Uh, so... <laughs> I'll just say before we get into it while we're talking about uh, nonsense, uh, two things. Number one, you made an impassioned plea for Octopath Traveler 2 last week and the week before that. Or was that Mm -hmm. two weeks? It doesn't matter. You talked about Octopath Traveler twice. Hence the sequel. Hence the sequel. Uh, The second time you talked about it last week really, really lit a fire into my ass to actually check it out. Uh, So I did. I bought it. I purchased the video game. Wow. Uh, I, I did. My original plan was to just delete the demo. And then download it again and then start from scratch and play with new characters based on your rubric, which you said on Twitter has changed. And I want to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I'll follow up with that in a bit, but I want to hear what you're saying here. But based on your rubric, I was like, okay, Steven has devised the the ultimate guide to which <laughs> characters you're supposed to play and pick up and add to your party in which order. Uh, and maybe by following this guide, it will change my opinion of the game. And I'm glad to say it extremely has that game. Oh, good. That game is very good. Uh, as long as you start with Hikari, like that's, <laughs> that's the rule. Honestly, like the, my number one rule, I guess Oswald also, because you seem to like Oswald a lot, but yeah. honestly, Hikari is a starting character, both in terms of like story. I mean, it's very, you know, it's paint by numbers. It's tropey. It's yeah. whatever. But like the whole vibe is he's a guy who is very strong. He's, he is the warrior of all of the eight characters. He is the warrior, uh, but he's from this place that is constantly going to war with other people. And he's like, maybe it doesn't need to be this way. Uh, and uh, his brother is like, no, it does. And you're weak and you're a piece of shit. Uh, and there's a whole thing where Hikari is supposed to become the king and then he doesn't. That's the first hour of the video game. Sorry. Uh, but all of that having been said, because he is a character who has some like interesting stuff going on, there are some other kind of... Yeah tweaks about his character that i don't want to allude to because i think they're fun uh to just like discover for yourself but also the fact that he can like very much hold his own in combat he's very powerful he's very strong you're not gonna have any issues with combat for the first like four or five hours of the game and then you just make your way and pick up whoever you want next you're gonna have a good time absolutely you're gonna have a good time and i've been having a good time i've definitely not i would say i'm not devouring the video game the same way you have been uh (laughs) i i don't i don't like it's not like my favorite game ever, but I, I am enjoying it enough to like check in with it a couple times a week, which is nice. That's kind of the way to play time. it. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's like my favorite game of all time either. Uh, it's kind of funny how we have to add that caveat when we praise something. You know, yeah. I think it's it's the nature of like as soon as media. it came out of my mouth, I was like, why, why did I say that? No, yeah. no, no. But I understand. I mean, I think it's like it's kind of an interesting question to ask myself because like I do really love it it's honestly the first game in a long time to like make me play it like every day Mm. which i haven't really been that pulled in in a long time yeah while i think it's a huge improvement over the first game when i went into octopath one i was hoping for final fantasy 6 i wanted like a very narrative driven sense of ensemble and the game is very much not that and the thing is neither is two like two has better (laughs) stories i think the, the characters are much stronger it's like you said a little bit paint by numbers but i think it's having fun with archetype like i've always considered archetype 
like salt where it's like you need a little bit of it to bring something to life mm-hmm. but if it's just salt then we get sick you know like you do yeah. need something else there and i think hikari is a great example of that where it's like this is a very familiar character you know um very much like the xenoblade 3 protagonist like the sort of warrior who is fighting for peace but there's enough going on there that i do think he's more interesting than what you would expect mm-hmm. and i think as a lead to the game like i think Octopath 2 more clearly wants you to sort of write your own adventure. They're giving you more to work with in the first game, but there's more travel banter. There's more interesting stories happening. There's more of a intersection between the characters, but it's still like the the dominant thing about the game. I think that one of the things the demo fails to really show because you kind of have to play through one or two missions to have more characters is like once you have a party of four the game just really lets you do whatever you want yes and there are multiple chapters that actually don't even have any combat so in my opinion the chapters are not even really the main event they're the way to like progress the main plot in some ways and to Mm -hmm. open up the world but like the game is kind of whatever you want it to be and I've, i've seen very few games in this sort of retro rpg style kind of harkening back to final fantasy 5 be that open and that's that's what i kind of focused on last week when we talked about it is the openness of it so yeah and that has hit for me like that is that is definitely working super well for me uh i I find it much more engaging because at the end of the day with octopath traveler one it really was like make your way from chapter to chapter and that's how you progress through the game and that's the most interesting thing about it outside of the combat and the visual style and as we talked about last week i think that the the faltering of octopath traveler one is that at a certain point when the story becomes less and less interesting, the further into it you get, the more you're leaning on the aesthetic and the combat, both of which will wear off in time. Um, you know, right. b- both of those two things by themselves are not enough to to uh, carry an 80 hour video game. You kind of need all of it to be working in conjunction with one another. And this game kind of saying, OK, the narrative is actually more interesting, to be clear, like it is better than it was in the first game. But it is taking a little bit of a backseat to the fact that the world allows you to explore it kind of at your own whim. And as you talked about last week, and one of the things that's really been sticking with me the more I've been playing it is seeing clearly earmarked where the the difficulty spikes are on the map. Like when you walk into a new place and it's like, hey, you're like way under leveled for this, but maybe you could survive one fight and get a whole bunch of experience if you do right. that. Or if the place is like one or two levels above you, and you're like, okay, I feel very confident that I'll be able to make it through encounters here. Let me switch it to nighttime so the combat is even more difficult. And then you get even more experience out of it. Like that kind of stuff, adding strategy to like where you are, not even the combat itself, but like where you are and when you are, um, is is a is a layer on top of what is already like probably the best combat in a turn-based RPG yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, that I I really, really appreciate. So it is it is working for me very well. I think it's I'm, a thing I'm that glad. I'm gonna chip away at. Yeah, I still I still think it's not like I, I do think you need to like this kind of RPG to enjoy Octopath 2. Yeah. Like I don't think it's a blanket recommendation, but I think if you liked one at all, you'll probably love two. Yeah. Le- having this game sort of be led by your own curiosity. Like I had a moment where I just found a cave and like seemingly no real purpose, mm-hmm. but there was this giant like sandworm boss. Um, cool. And I was like, I just want to beat this boss. Like, I don't know what I'm getting out of it. It's not tied to any chapter. I just want to do it, which I haven't really felt that way since, like, you know, when you stumble into bosses in Breath of the Wild or even Elden Ring, like, mm. or yeah. an open world game. So I'm like, I'm kind of giving myself my own mission. And then what I got from it was like, 
a item that was used for another quest involving a secret job that I won't spoil. Accountant. Um, and I also got a liver. Yeah. <laughs> You're not far off. Um, and I and I got a liver from the beast that I actually could trade in um, at the Hunter's Guild, and I got a secondary Hunter's License. So now I can have two characters equipped with Hunter at the same time. That's sick. So, like, I, I think just letting... I think it's kind of powerful that you don't know what you're going to get out of certain circumstances, and, and it's just sort of, like, up to you to see, like... Do I want to just go from story to story or do I want to just like mainline four characters and and you know then switch eventually? Yeah. I will say I'm at a point where like I have gotten everybody and I have done most people's chapter 2s and I have like four characters that are like a little above level 30. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I I kind of overleveled, which is a nice feeling that I wasn't like purposely grinding, but I'm just like overleveled enough that I can plow through some of the other chapters, some of which don't even have combat. Um, but I'm like trying to get to a point where like everyone is at the same level and yeah. everyone is at the appropriate level for their chapter three or four. So right. uh, overall, the game definitely doesn't really require you grind because I think just by nature of playing it, you'll end up where you need to be. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I found. I, I have yeah. four characters in my party at the moment and I'm making my way over to the other four and I found that anytime I'm like level blocked by a new area, you know, if I walk in and it's like, oh, this place is level 18 and I'm level 10, that really just means I have to turn around and pick up a new character and then when I do that and I finish their chapter one and I make my way back to that space that I was level blocked at, I'm usually fine. Um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, it's good. I just, I just think one of the more interesting things about Octopath Traveler 2 is all of the stuff that you and I are attaching to and are interested in completely absent from all marketing for this game. Like yeah. the, the most interesting <laughs> stuff about Octopath Traveler 2 and all of the things that they've changed and all the quality of life stuff is all completely disconnected from the stuff that they marketed, which is like, hey, we got eight new characters and it's a little bit further in the future than the first game. And like, that's all they really talked about is like, look at how cool these eight people are. And to be fair, they're cool. I like yeah. them. They're good characters. They're better characters in the first game in a lot of instances. Um, but also, there's this whole open world thing that is like so fascinating and so cool and a huge deviation from what I think a lot of us associate with this style of game. Yeah. Uh, that is like <laughs> totally unremarked upon, except for the reviews where people played like, you know, 30 or 40 hours of it and are like, hey, this game is doing some really interesting shit. Yeah. There's another game I think called Crystal Project that I've only played a bit of, but it yeah. more visibly is trying to do like let's do like a huge almost Minecraft open world, but yeah. with this sort of like retro Final Fantasy combat um, that I've heard some people like love. I haven't gone far enough into it to feel one way or the other, but I do think that that's a really brilliant idea, and I, and I really like the way Octopath Two is doing it. Yeah, I actually um, played a couple hours of that game. I think last year or whenever people were talking about it actively, yeah. I think that was last year. Um, I liked it. It was interesting, um, yeah. but it reminded me a little bit too much of. I honestly, I think I think just the thing for me was it was a little bit too open. It was a little yeah. bit like too. I I have free reign here, um, and it's one of those things where I needed to make my own fun, but the game didn't teach me how to have fun yet, so I was like having a hard time, kind of a uh, kind of finding. I my saw some. There. There's a really active channel for Octopath Two in in our Discord, and people were saying how like the amount of time it takes to walk from points is actually really short. Like mm. it's shorter than it looks on the map, which I think prevents this game from being kind of fatiguing because there is random encounters. You are just walking on the map and stumbling into them. Yeah. Which like is not for everybody, but there are also like abilities you get that you can avoid combat more easily. 
um, the scholar gets like a support skill that does that. But yeah, it's I'm really glad you're liking it more. I I didn't want to force your hand, but I'm like I think you've enjoyed enough of games like this. Like you enjoyed Bravely Default two enough, where I'm like if you liked that, I think you'll <laughs> at least like Octopath two. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad it's working better for you this time. Yeah, I really just did pick the worst two characters to start with unfortunately which is so to be clear that is like a failing of the game i think uh that you can like at the beginning you can pick a character that is the the wrong choice uh you know in a game where it's all about choosing between eight people and saying which one is the most interesting to you and they can be your party leader and that can be fine um and and if i had invested more time and picked up more people like i probably would have eventually gotten into a better groove but you can set yourself up to have a worse time in the most crucial hours of starting a video game yeah there was some discussion in the discord about like who is best to start with not even like who is the best character but it's like what character kind of makes the most sense to begin the journey with I think Oswald works, but Oswald's also kind of like a little bit of a unique case because you have to do his first two chapters consecutively. Yeah. But I think it actually, like, if you start with Oswald, your next two characters are going to be, at least geographically, are going to be Throne and Temenos. And those three, like, make sense that they're traveling together. Like, they're all the sort of, like, maybe evil characters in the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not evil, but they're, like, definitely the darker stories and they're, like, a little bit more um kind of like uh they have a harsher view of reality than like the optimism of Particio and Agnia. It's not on mm-hmm. it's not an accident they're on opposite sides of the map in that way. Yeah. Um but in terms of my unhinged rubric that I made, um I, I mostly feel similar. The the big dramatic changes are I think Agnia, while not maybe the best to start with, has really grown on me just in combat. There's an EX skill. So around the map, there are altars uh, for all the different jobs. And if you bring the character that is that job, they'll get like a special ability from the altar. Agnia's ability for the dancer is she summons wind magic against all enemies and then all the characters that you're controlling go first next turn (laughs) it's like unbelievable (laughs) wow um i also have her as a scholar so like she has access to all that magic and all those buffs and i've just found her to be like a really essential unit in my party does bewildering grace make a comeback it does it is in the game oh thank god I, i think you have to unlock all the other dancer abilities for it to show up but uh, ah, okay. it is it is in the game and it is incredible. And the characters I, I get at one point, Thorne was a dancer and she went, let's see what happens, which I thought <laughs> was really funny. Um, yeah, for I those like, of you who uh, weren't listening to this podcast in 2018, when we were talking about the first Octopath Traveler, Bewildering Grace is a move that the dancer has in that game uh, where when you use it, it'll just have a random buff effect that can be completely on it'll be like yeah you're gonna get uh 1000 times the experience you would normally get just from this combat alone it's the it's the equivalent of like finding a king metal slime in in dragon quest and being able to beat it and what's fun too is there's actually there are metal slime equivalents in the map there are three enemies that if they appear the battle music is essentially bone trossel from undertale uh (laughs) and there's one that drops a ton of money, one that drops a ton of job points, and one that drops a ton of experience, I believe. It's very Shimagami Tensei. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, but so Agnia I I think is is much more and that's the thing, like all the characters have so much customization. They're all viable. Right. I still am not fully sold on the merchant class. Particio gets a unique ability called hired help, where you can just spend money to summon like 
guards or like gestures to do things. It's not it's not the path action summon. It's just like a unique ability, mm. kind of akin to um, Ochet's beast summons, but like it's just using money and not SP. Which is kind of cool, but I, I still think it's a little bit underwhelming compared to Ochet's. Also, Hikari, while I still think is one of the best first characters to choose, I think in looking at the eight, Ochet, Throne, and Hikari are like the three physical attack characters. Mm. Um, Hikari is, is sort of built to be more of a tank. Like he, he has like higher health and has a lot of the counters. Um, Throne is, is a little bit more of a glass cannon, and Ochet is kind of like a jack of all trades, especially with the versatility of the beast capturing. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that Hikari also can kind of be a blue mage because his path action is dueling where he can learn new abilities by dueling townspeople, which is awesome. But it is also kind of just a harder version of capturing beasts, which Ochet does like instantly. Right. So I think that's Hikari, kind of one of my bigger things about yeah. the game is everybody has path actions for day and night, which means that you can walk yeah. up to NPCs in towns and you can interact with them in various ways. Um, but I think you brought this up either on last week's episode or the first one that we talked about this game. The weirder thing for me is that some versions of the path actions are just like the better instantaneous no fail mode versions yeah. <laughs> of other people's path actions. So like, I don't know, like uh, what is it? Hikari's nighttime ability is to bribe people to get information out of them. And Agnia can just talk to anyone whenever she wants and get that same information out of them. Um, yeah. Which is weird. It's kind of raises this question of like, okay, why would you ever, ever, ever use Hikari's nighttime action then? I think there's some where it's more of a risk reward. Like I think some, like uh, Agnia's nighttime action is she can ask people for items, but I don't think those are the same items that like Throne can steal during the day. Mm. So I think there's, a, but I think you're right. I mean, especially with the um, uh, like Oswald has scrutinize, which I've rarely had fail, but then Temenos can just break. He like basically like beats the information out of them. <laughs> so if he breaks their guard, they'll just spill yeah. everything, which is hilarious. Um. I just find that like the the ones that make me battle, I'm less likely to do because it just takes a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like I I will revisit that rubric in full once I've finished the game, and I'll share my full thoughts. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm excited about that. I've also heard Costi's story gets better, which I'm happy to hear because that was like the one story that felt Octopath oney to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so that that was our quick aside about Octopath Traveler two that I wanted to get out of the way, which has now become a full segment. The other thing that I was going to talk about uh, is, uh, did you, did you, I just like forgot that Skyrim was a launch title on the Nintendo switch. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was sitting there in bed last night trying to decide what I wanted to play before I went to sleep. And I had the retroid there and I also had the switch there and I was like, Oh yeah, I can play Skyrim on this thing. And I just like had it's it the on ultimate the switch. fallback. It's, it's primordial behavior. Like I said before, what an amazing yeah. thing. They also added the anniversary edition so you can get all the like, uh, creator club stuff built in there so you can get fishing, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just think that's great. I just think it's lovely that there's a, there's a Skyrim on the switch and you can play it whenever you want. Yeah. And, it, I, and, and it's been there for so long. It's been there for us the whole time, always waiting, always kind of just like <laughs> winking from the corner of the room. I know a lot of people who played Skyrim for the first time on Switch. Um, it it, it is experience. the modern equivalent of Doom, where it's like you just kind of need this on everything. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, you won't have the same mod capability, but like, right. even still, like it's it's a blast to play, um, especially handheld. 
Totally. Uh, so, it's kind of weird yeah. that it's not on mobile. It's like it's weird that it's not an app on the App Store. I mean, you could play uh, Elder Scrolls Blades, um, <laughs> where you open a treasure chest and Bethesda asks you for $5. <laughs> it's like, this might defeat the purpose of a treasure chest. Of a treasure chest, totally. But yeah. I digress. Man, I really wanted to like that game. Ugh. Yeah. I really, I gave it, I gave it so much time. I played it on mobile. Then I played it again when it came out on Switch. I was like, oh, maybe they've changed some stuff since it's, you know, released on Switch. Absolutely not. So it only got worse, <laughs> uh, which is such a bummer because the, the big thing for me about blades was i was coming hot off the heels not hot off the heels i mean it had been years but i i loved fallout shelter like fallout yeah. shelter was an amazing mobile game by bethesda uh, if you haven't played it highly recommend it. it's a base building game like you literally build a vault in the world of fallout it's like all uh it's like it's like 2d you're seeing in the side of a mountain you're like placing different rooms that have different abilities you're like you know negotiating with uh with people as they show up at the vault door if you want to let them in or not um there's like it's such a great game and you can kind of play it forever uh and i was kind of hoping for that again with with blades and that didn't happen because how great would it be to have like a really great mobile version of elder scrolls at all times (laughs) <laughs> yeah i wonder awesome. what that looks like i mean i i think fallout shelter works because they kind of rethink what fallout could mean on mobile yeah um i i, I do wonder i mean blades is sort of like halfway where it's like clearly like That's a more limited version but it's not it doesn't have a unique identity to itself yeah they, they didn't get all the way there because the thing for me was like the idea of going out into dungeons to specifically get materials that you can use to build up a town that's been ransacked is like a great idea. I mean, you know me and 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 uh, Tarrytown. And Tarrytown. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm a sucker for this shit. But like, it's actually it's a great distillation of the Elder Scrolls. It's like, yeah, you hop into a dungeon, get get rewards, use those rewards to make your rewards better in the future. It's like they got a good loop in there. It's just they they ratcheted the in-app purchase shit up as far yeah. as they possibly could. It's kind of my same issue with Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, where it's like that could have been such a slam dunk, you know, and now it's kind of faltering. Honestly, one of the game like almost never in the history of ever has a game kind of like <laughs> toned down its in-app purchase prices you know, to, to kind of meet player demand because they're, they're fishing for whales, right? They're like, they're really trying to get the people who will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on the thing. And that's what's really sustaining the, the market. What a missed opportunity for things like Blades and Pocket Camp, where it's like, could you imagine if they had a reasonably priced Animal Crossing game available on mobile forever? You know, we like, need a Yarl simulator is what really I'm yo, hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want that, go play Reigns. Yeah, that, I was about like to say, that, yeah. I would honestly love, though, like just like an Elder Scrolls flavored Reigns where you're right? in the Jarl. That's amazing. Honestly? I might be onto something. Yeah. Devolver. Where you at? <laughs> hit, hit, I was going to say hit us up. What, what are we going to do? <laughs> Yarl of the year. I'll send you an email, I guess, and say, hey, yeah. you should do this. Yeah. If you hit us up. Anyway, do you want to take a quick break? We've been talking for a long time already, and then we can talk about the actual games that we came prepared with. That sounds good. I want to sit like a Jarl for a few minutes. Oh, me too. Ooh. With just sort of the aloof, uh, like, God and Adam hand. Yeah. I love it. It's got to be bad for your back to sit in a in a throne like yeah, that. Yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. Most Jarls died at like 31, I imagine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they didn't have chiropractors. <laughs> okay, I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Steven, breaking news. What's up? Uh, Nintendo is discounting first-party video games. <laughs> really? Moment. Yeah, isn't that wild? Get select Mario games for $40. Oh, okay. That's, pre- uh, that's about as good as we've ever seen in terms right? of Nintendo sales. 
Uh, I wonder if this is a reaction to the the discourse around the Zelda pricing, the seventy dollar thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, or just promotion for the movie. Who knows? That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but the, the here's the thing, Stephen. It's it's one of the the big downsides of doing a podcast like this is I sure do have every game already that's on discount. Like every single <laughs> one I already have downloaded on my Nintendo switch, but uh, it looks like pretty much every game they have that features Mario is on sale, which is pretty nice. They that's have awesome. like this, they have this like collection of tiles where it's like, here's Mario Odyssey and new super Mario brothers deluxe and whatever. And the last tile is just a picture of Bowser. And I wonder what that means. What does that Ooh. indicate? Is it just Bowser available for $40? But uh, 3D All-Stars is no longer there, right? It's gone. That's gone forever. Gone but not Although, I guess Mario 64 is definitely on the N64 bundle. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they ever do a GameCube one, uh, if we'll get Sunshine there, too. Could you imagine what the response from people... Like, that would be the most wild Nintendo Direct of all time if they announced a GameCube (laughs) Nintendo Switch Online thing. Based on like based on truly nothing, and I can't wait to get added and be told that I'm wrong and even thinking <laughs> this. But uh, I I expect just following the Metroid Prime remake, I feel like we're yeah. in an era where if GameCube games come to Switch, they will be like individual remasters. So I could yeah. see like Mario Sunshine, uh, you know, showing up in that capacity. Although maybe not, since they just did 3D All Stars, and that might have just been that. Yeah. Um. Who knows? Man, Who I'm knows? always hovering over that launch button for Metroid Prime Remastered. It's like I I played like 30 minutes of it just to kind of talk about on the show. It was longer than that, but I played I played a, a bit of it to talk about on the show. But man, I really want to play through that thing. Yeah, uh, should we reveal our plans for that? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you just did. Yeah, we're talking about that. It's gonna be our bonus <laughs> for next month, uh, April. That'll be the April bonus. Um, yeah. We figured uh, March having Mario All Stars would be a fun way to sort of review the history of Mario and have kind of a lighter one in between yeah. like Ocarina and what I imagine will be a bigger one with Metroid prime. Cause everyone knows March 10th is Mario day. So we had to celebrate <laughs> our favorite <laughs> corporate icon. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever want to go to Mario world, the theme park? I mean, I'm planning a tr- uh, great segue, Steven. I'm planning a trip to LA oh, uh, and uh, they just opened up super Nintendo world over there. Super uh, Nintendo World. Is so it just Mario or is it all Nintendo stuff there? I know it's very just Mario stuff. It. They're calling it Super Nintendo World, but it's just Mario stuff as far as I know. Uh, maybe, maybe they're going to expand it or something. I'm not really sure. But I wonder if there'll be like an Elite Beat Agents amusement park like next door. <laughs> Codename Steam. Yeah. Co- <laughs> I, would get, I would love like in Hello, South- I'm Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. I'm still alive. I want a South Jersey like uh, <laughs> all the first party games that didn't make it get their own rides. Yeah. Um, arms and, world yeah I was about to say <laughs> the arms is just reaching into the garbage and thinking i was like oh I found yeah it's like it. it's like one of those boxes where you have to put your hand in and figure out what you're holding you're not able to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with arms well you're using your arms aren't you yeah <laughs> And then there's three guys dressed as the agents are just pointing at you as you walk in. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get to talk about the movement the movement. Like, let's get out of here. We should have gone to LA. He's <laughs> fast, but he don't run too fast. Anyway, you're you're going to LA for uh oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm going to LA soon, planning a trip to LA, but I already went to LA, Steven. I went to <laughs> LA in the 40s this week. Uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in to my live stream on twitch.tv 
that's right. I I, st- I sure did start playing L.A. Noire, uh, the Rockstar game that I think is over 10 years old at this point. I think yeah, it's it like 2011. 2011. Yeah. yeah, it was before GTA 5 and after GTA 4, which I feel like is an interesting era for them as as a publisher and developer. Yeah. 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 Uh, LA, LA Noir is a game that I've wanted to check out for a really long time. Have never played. I've seen I think I've seen a little bit of gameplay of it. I mean, like I I sure did know the doubt button, right? I feel like that became <laughs> like like a culturally yeah. significant button prompt showing up on screens. I feel like the the doubt button uh became part of the Zeitgeist by itself. Uh weirdly They've released an L.A. Noir remastered, which isn't even called L.A. Noir remastered. It's just L.A. Noir. Like, I think they just got rid of the original and just here's the new one. Um, but they changed the doubt button. The doubt button no longer exists, which is really oh, sad no. to me because I was playing this game live on stream, waiting for the doubt button to show up. So I could be like, here it is. We made it. We found the thing and uh, not even realizing that they've, they've replaced it. So I, I wrote this down because I thought this was really fascinating. It actually explains a lot about what's weird about this game. Um, but they it used to be in the original release of the game. Truth doubt and lies when you're interrogating suspects i'll get into what the game is later but when when you're interrogating suspects it used to be truth doubt and lie and now it's good cop bad cop and abuse which i feel like are just weird kind of amorphous things yeah uh, i'll explain why so the game if you've never heard of it if you've never seen it it's a it's a rock star open world game set in the late 40s in la they've like done a very from what i've read at least a pretty accurate recreation of 1940s LA, which is pretty wild. Um, And you play as this guy named Cole Phelps, who is played by uh, one of the leads from Mad Men, which is pretty wild. Uh, And the game was very famous when it came out for having absolutely incredible facial tracking software. So the whole deal was like, they brought in uh, like actors from the screen, I'll say, because what they were doing was capturing their facial performances Uh, for every single line of dialogue and mapping that onto the models in the game because so much of the game is about interrogating people and seeing what their facial reactions are to the questions that you're asking them or when you're trying to like you know pin them for a crime or something uh kind of intuiting based on what you're seeing visually based on the actor's performance if you should be pushing them harder if you should ease off or if you're like dude i got evidence that's just gonna nail you for this crime and i'm just gonna point to it in my notebook and you're gonna fold um and that's kind of like most of the game uh, outside of that, because it's a rockstar game. Of course, there are like big shootouts. And of course, there's like the ability to brawl with people in their apartments when you bust in there uh, because, you know, you're kind of a, a shitty cop. And I think that's one of the interesting things about this game is like, I guess I, I, I always assumed that it was kind of glorifying like detective work and cop life and stuff like that but really seems to be almost an indictment of this era of police work because so much of the game seems to be about cole coming hot off the heels of like doing some shit that he really 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 regrets in world war ii and being like well i can still serve my country by being a cop and like is very very into the (laughs) idea of going above and beyond to uh go out of his way to like essentially shoot kill or throw people in prison for the rest of their lives um and a lot of the game seems to be really centered on like 
getting into his psyche and why that is, which I wasn't expecting because again, I mean, you know, this is Rockstar. They they make Grand Theft Auto. It's like the most like kind of big and bombastic and kind of turn your brain off shit possible. Even though a lot of those games, I would say five in particular is starting to get more into like the psyche of the people who are career criminals or even four. I mean, I think that this is kind of what I was alluding to when I said this is an interesting era for Rockstar is like GTA four compared to like Vice City and, and San Andreas and mm-hmm. three is trying to, and this is, I think the, the bubbling of Ludo narrative dissonance conversations, but like <laughs> right. four, I think was trying to tell a, a kind of more emotionally grounded story, at least by comparison. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think in, in San Andreas was two, but like, I think the, the way a lot of the characters were written, especially like in Vice City are sort of justifying them as like, you know, player characters that are here to cause chaos you know they are in sort of a tarantino-esque world where everyone is like a jerk and snarky right and you know the story is just an excuse to go from point to point b and blow stuff up i think in gta 4 there was an attempt at like having a little bit more of a of a plot um in a traditional sense and i think games like red dead redemption 1 which came out a year before la noir i think were really at the time the most like oh they're like I actually don't want to cause chaos as this character because it doesn't make sense for him to do that. Correct. You know, yes. um, and I mean, redemption's in the title when then <laughs> you get to red dead two. And I feel like there's this whole red dead two. I feel feels akin to God of war 2018 where there's like this reckoning with the past. Totally. And that game has a lot that I would criticize, but I, I do think my favorite thing about red dead two is this idea of like really exploring a like rock stars past. And also like, the the vision of a cowboy in sort of the American zeitgeist. Yeah. Absolutely. And kind of ripping that to shreds in terms of like the actual bleakness of that era and like the doom that surrounds those characters. Because yeah. Red Dead One tries to tackle that, usually mainly in side quests or or the further into the story you get. Um but for the most part it is just kind of trying to be like a, a, a fantasy realization machine. Uh Red Dead Two really is asking a lot of questions. And I, I do put Red Dead Two alongside LA Noir, I think, in terms of just like the more interesting games that Rockstar could be making than Grand Theft Auto. Totally. Not to say that like Grand Theft Auto is like devoid of value or anything like i understand why they're continuing to make those games and they are fun and they you know make a shitload of money for them so obviously they're going to keep making them forever um but la noir feels like this really interesting swerve where it's like what if you took all of that focused talent in that studio you know the ability to make really dense interesting open worlds and tell different kinds of stories with different verbs involved than just like run around with a in a helicopter jump out and while you're parachuting to the ground, like shoot a rocket launcher at like a hospital, you know, like that <laughs> doesn't always need to be that. And right. L.A. Noir is like, here's a here's a really big triple A budget attempt at doing something like new and interesting with that level of talent. Um, and I think they pull it off for the most part. I mean, it definitely has a lot of like 2011 issues, I think, just in terms of like, y- you know, I. I don't know if the game can support um, as much of the intuition that a detective game at the time needs, you know, but then you see games like Return of the Obra Dinn or Case of the Golden Idol where it's like, oh, yeah, they they actually just figured it out. I just think we weren't there yet, you know, game design wise. Um, but even for the time, I think this idea of like 
I'm going to show up at a crime scene. I'm going to walk around and investigate each object that I can interact with. And like sometimes that'll just be like a bottle that somebody threw on the ground that means nothing. And when you pick it up, Cole will like kind of turn it over in his hand and be like, yeah, I don't think this is relevant. Or it'll be like, oh, here's like a bat that has some blood on it. Maybe this is, you know, useful or interesting to the case. You know, snap over to one of the the beat cops and be like, hey, could you mark this? You know, we want to think about this later for for the investigation that kind of stuff is really interesting and like that kind of procedural work i think fills in a lot of the gaps that you don't get if you're watching a thing like fucking csi miami or whatever you know like you actually are doing the minute to minute work it takes to like figure out an entire crime and that that flow is cool and the fact that every single case is introduced this big title card that's like the missing car you know it's like they're really getting into the spirit of the the late 40s and that era of like actual noir thrillers. Um, and not only that, but you're also following Cole's progression through the police force, which I think is really fun. Like you start off as a beat cop, like accidentally essentially stumbling your way into solving actual crimes you know it's like oh well i'm just supposed to be like writing this person up for a parking violation and now here i am solving a murder and the the more you keep like stumbling into accidentally doing that the more you know your uh bosses are like you have upper management written all over you i'm gonna make you a detective you're a shining star in the force you know whatever whatever um but then they're also really getting into exploring the darker sides of that i did a i did a case the other day i think it was one of the dlc cases um because this version of L.A. Noir also includes the DLC stuff, which doesn't push the narrative forward, but like create some interesting stuff. And yeah. I, I found honestly includes more famous people, like actually like really famous people oh, in it in all the DLC stuff, which I find very confusing. But anyway, I did this one where I had to I had to bust uh, this like auto ring uh, where people were essentially like faking, stealing and then selling cars that had been stolen that ended with this like bloodbath where like I showed up at this warehouse where they were retrofitting these cars um, and it immediately turned into a shootout. And I took out like 20 dudes like me and my partner took out like 20 dudes. And at the end of it, my boss was like, great job. Look at all these dead guys. You did. You did perfectly. You know, here, here you are on the traffic desk and now you're taking bad guys off the street by fucking making sure their brains are all over the wall. It's like they really are glorifying that in some cases, like yeah. through dialogue. But I don't feel it thematically like I, I, I can feel like this game has kind of a thousand foot view looking down and being like, doesn't this kind of suck, though? Like, isn't this like, yeah, dark? isn't this really shitty, um, which I'm finding really interesting. And I, I kind of that's that's the thread that I'm pulling on to get me through L.A. Noir at the moment is like they're they're definitely exploring something interesting. And I'm excited to see where it goes, because right now I'm working on the traffic desk. And the next one, I think, up from that is homicide, which is like when you actually just start like investigating murders. Um, and I, I'm curious to see how much of these flashbacks into Cole's war experience and how much of the like kind of back and forth banter between him and his partner, where his partner is like, hey, dude, you you're really stoic in a way that's like unsettling. Uh, I want to see where all that comes to a head, because I think that this game has some interesting ideas and it's just playing its hand a little bit later than I'd like. Um, but I'm getting glimpses of it already, which I appreciate. Yeah, I, I still haven't played this game. I just I remember the buzz around it when it came out, though, because this was one of those games where I, I think it's so emblematic of like two sort of zeitgeist at the time, like late 2000s, early 2010s. Like yeah. on one hand, this was the era where a lot of AAA games were like, see, games can be art. We're going <laughs> to basically be a movie, you know, or we're going to like, yes. you know, this is the era of Uncharted and L.A. Noir, like kind of 
visibly pulling inspiration from like Hollywood favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in a way where like it's still a game. I think that's the best thing you know Uncharted was able to do is like it's not just cutscenes, like you're actually you feel the thrill of like being this Indiana Jones type character. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like LA Noir is, is really putting you in the position of not only a detective, but also like a lot of noir media has this sense of doom about it. Like it's there's always this sense that like the main character is either narrating something that went horribly wrong and you're getting the journey there, or they're like slowly entering this dark world, yeah, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, I think always of like the reveal of, of, uh, I think of the shot of Orson Welles in the third man where like, you just like, he's in the dark alley and then the light comes on. Yeah. Him. Like, uh, in watching your stream, like I got big untouchables vibes from LA noir, totally. but like, untouchables if it wasn't copaganda i guess because <laughs> untouchables is very happy just being like yeah the cops are the good guys yeah right but uh anyway like so there's that part of it where it's like this is the era where games were were really looking to movies as like proof of their artistic merit um and this is also the era of like the beginning i, I would credit mass effect for this where this is the beginning of like big dialogue uh so and so will remember that games mm-hmm. like this is the very beginning. I think a year later, uh, the Walking Dead Telltale game came out, and I kind of see LA, L.A. Noir as like part of that trend, which like yeah. I think eventually like kind of fizzled out. But I do think the idea of dialogue-driven games is still very much a thing we see and want to see more of. So it is interesting to see this era, and it sounds like they got it really right for the time where there really wasn't a lot of precedent for this type of game. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about the investigation stuff in particular in, in terms of how it relates to the walking dead stuff is you, you can fuck up really badly in the investigations. And I, I think you're more likely to fuck up now than you would have in the original release, because I think the good cop, bad cop and accuse options are a little bit more vague than the previous options, which are truth, doubt and lies. So like if the person you're speaking to says something back to you, you know, to answer a question and you're like, this person is probably telling the truth. You press the truth button And then it's like, okay, cool. Like I, you know, we're both on the same page, but I do need a little bit more information out of you. But if you're like, uh, I think they're probably lying, but I can't prove it. Then you hit the doubt button. Then it's like, okay, let me be a little bit more forceful about this. Uh, And then lie is obviously like, I have the evidence to prove that you're lying to me. Uh, But the the weirdest thing about the game and where it kind of falls apart for me a little bit. And I I learned the reason why this is. I I did a little bit of digging to find out um, is Cole as a character I think is very interesting because he's like clearly so racked with some kind of like anxiety and and guilt and whatever because of you know what he did in the past. Um, but if you ever press the bad cop button, he like really lashes out at people in a way that feels almost like it doesn't make sense story wise in some cases. Um, and I learned that the reason for that is because originally when they're building the game and writing the dialogue the original options were coax, force, and lie, which then got changed to truth, doubt, and lie, which is now good cop, bad cop, and accuse. But I think if you if you think about this game while you're playing it through the perspective of the original terminology for those three options were coax, as in like, okay, you're telling the truth, but I want to coax a little bit more information out of you, or force, which is like became doubt and is now bad cop, is like, I'm going to force this information out of you because I know that you're not being truthful with me. And then again, lie, which is like, I have the evidence to prove it. As soon as I learned that the game started like flying for me. And I started doing a lot better in investigations because earlier on in the game, just because of the more vague options that are available now, 
I could never really tell when I was supposed to be good cop or bad cop because to me, those two terms didn't really indicate like this person is telling the truth. So I will be good cop to continue this conversation. To me, good cop was like, I should kind of ease off and I shouldn't be yelling at this person because maybe the easier I am on them, the more chill they'll be and maybe they'll open up to me more. That's not how the game perceives the phrase good cop. The way that they perceive it is you're just coaxing information out of them and they're telling the truth. Um, because that's the way the lines were originally written. And it explains why Cole starts screaming at people all the time in this game, <laughs> which feels like so out of the realm of how he should be reacting in a lot of instances. Especially like there was there was one investigation I did where this this girl had been drugged and put in a car that had like flown off of a cliff essentially and got caught on a billboard before it hit the ground which is the only reason everyone in the car didn't just die uh and you go and visit her in a hospital and cole's like screaming at her (laughs) and she's like 16 and i was like dude you can't be doing like this is not this is not helpful to the investigation for you to be villainizing this person who very clearly almost died and is still coming off of whatever drugs got slipped into her drink like it's so fucked hearing him scream but it also does kind of illuminate his character to me which i think is interesting this this disconnect between what the game is trying to do and what it should be doing and how it was originally written actually makes cole more interesting to follow around because it's like i i can never really tell when he's just gonna like blow a fuse on somebody who super doesn't deserve it and that might just be you know past trauma kind of seeping into his present right um, exactly which i think is really interesting um that having been said, I I think the weakest thing about the game that everybody always talks about is the driving. Like the driving feels like shit, honestly. Yeah. And anytime I need to do like a, a chase, it just like makes me want to throw my controller. Uh, <laughs> especially because so frequently the missions are you need to be tailing somebody and you need to not be suspicious while you're driving or else the person will realize that you're tailing them. And that's so difficult to do <laughs> given yeah. the way the driving works in this game. Um that having been said, if you're just making your way from destination to destination, you can uh, hold down the get in the car button. And uh, by doing that, instead of just pressing it, you'll essentially tell your partner, I need you to drive to the next place so I can look at my case notes. And that's the best thing in the world, because what it does is it just gives you all the dialogue that would have played while you were driving. Um, and it just gives it to you all at once and then kind of just fades out and you fade in into the next spot, which does defeat a little bit of the purpose of it being an open world. Um which is a little bit of a bummer. I kind of wish I could be like, Hey, I want you to drive to this next place. And I just see the whole drive because there is a piece of me that wants to learn my way around the city. Cause I think that's half the fun of these kinds of open world games that are set in locations like this. Red dead two does a good job with that. Where like there, you can kind of just hold the button and match the speed of the person horseback riding. And you can also put it in cinematic mode, which is like stun. I mean, that game is still one of the best looking games in recent memory. Um, so I think that was clearly a lesson learned on Rockstar's part. I think so, too. Um, one of the unfortunate things that I learned about this game is that the facial recognition technology that they used for this thing uh, was so expensive that the company shuttered. Essentially, like this division of Rockstar, like just folded as soon as this game came oh, out. Oh, wow. Um, and they, they uh, never got to make another game. <laughs> so kind of a bummer. It is. I mean, it's still really impressive. I think it really works in the interrogation scenes. I think in the other scenes, it's a little bit uncanny sometimes because their hands are clearly like 2011 character model. Yes, exactly. So it kind of looks like an AI, like mapped faces to a pre-existing game. Yeah. But I mean, again, I think like in the 
I think it's impressive that they did it for gameplay reasons. Like I think on one hand, yes. it's like, okay, it's cool to say, like, look at this. It's just like a movie. But I think the fact that, like, kind of the insight the player has and some how someone looks during an interrogation is actually information to the player yeah i do i i feel like i'll probably finish this game which is kind of surprising nice. I'm, I'm i'm almost halfway in already i'm like at the end of the traffic desk which i think is like kind of maybe maybe the first third but i think is closer to the halfway point in the game um there's i think 25 cases total uh and uh i i think i'll probably see them all i'm really interested in what this game has going on uh it's cool. It's Alien Noir. It's available on Xbox, which is where I'm playing it. But I think it's oh, also nice. on Switch and PlayStation and PC. I might pick it up eventually because I have an interest in games like this. I think like being a detective in a game is very interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ace Attorney, I think, is the is the pinnacle of that. But that's also a very different tone. And like, you know what this game does? I, I was just thinking about this. Th- what this game does that reminds me so much of Ace Attorney is so frequently you as in like Steven or Brendan or the player will know what's going on and have solved the case in your head already. And you need to wait for the person you're playing (laughs) as to get to that same point. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, it's, I mean, literally case by case in that regard, there are definitely some moments, especially in the original trilogy, there's some frustration with that where it's like, you actually need this specific beat first. Yeah. Um, they've gotten better at that in later games, but, uh, yeah, it, it is like, the moments where it actually is your intuition solving it is yeah. like unmatched. Yeah, uh, it's it's, really co- it's cool, but it's fr- it's it can be frustrating, you know. Like totally, there's a, there's a bit in the stream actually. If you go watch it, it's available on our YouTube now as as a vod. But there's a bit in the stream where I started a case that was like investigate this car that has been abandoned and is covered in blood, and like within I don't know two minutes, I was like, yeah, I, I know the answer. This guy, <laughs> this guy faked his death. Uh, he's in love with somebody who lives in Seattle. And uh, he 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 thinks that this is easier than divorcing his wife. And like, that's how it all played out. Like, it took like 45 minutes to get the game to recognize the thing that I had learned immediately and had figured out, um, which is definitely a little bit frustrating, but also feels, you know, you feel like a genius in those moments. You feel yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm Sherlock Holmes. I feel or like Herlock the best. My, her, yeah, I mean, no one's Herlock Holmes, let's be real. But I, uh, I think the best like moments in Ace Attorney are like just as soon as you feel like you've gained a lead the way the prosecution or the prosecutor will like flip the case on its head and you're like shit like what do I do now like how do I like those moments of like seemingly hopelessness are incredible and I Mm -hmm. think the best Ace Attorney cases are because a lot of them are like especially in the original trilogy it's like there's someone who's been wrongly framed for doing this and you have to prove their innocence yeah i think the more interesting cases are the ones where you actually don't have all the information and there's some revelations like during the case without saying too much like in in ace attorney chronicles that game gets a little bit more into like like i think in the original trilogy the defense lawyers are the good guys like the prosecutors are the bad guys or they're at least antagonistic and like being a defense lawyer is like being a superhero in the world of Ace Attorney. And that is really <laughs> interrogated in the great Ace Attorney Chronicles, which is really interesting. Mm, so cool. anyway, more on Ace Attorney one day, but it, it's hard not to think of that series when talking about L.A. Noir. No, I, yeah, it's yeah. really all I was thinking about while playing it also. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, you know, that was the other game of this era that was trying to do a similar thing. Yeah, um, I guess the only yeah. other one was that, that I can remember was probably the Arkham games. And even that was like kind of more of like a mini game where Batman would be like, I, I see the Joker left this here. It's like, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can see like the line of the shot in Arkham City, but it wasn't really like deduction. It was just like, 
look at the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. City, city, city tried to do it. Uh, to, I, I think of all the things that City does very, very well, uh, that wasn't one of them. I think that was one of the things that uh, Arkham Knight fucking killed it at. I love that game so much. Yeah, that trilogy is great. I, yeah. I had a lot of fun revisiting that a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, El Noir. It's a it's a good video game. You can watch that stream. It's available on YouTube and on our Twitch also. But uh, I'll probably keep playing it. Maybe I'll bring it back at some point if i get to the end see if you it think i would like it? all these ideas uh yeah probably i think i think yeah. you need to be in like the right headspace for it you know yeah. like i i sure did like turn the lights down low and get a bottle of wine you know and i was like i'm, I'm gonna sell some <laughs> crime tonight and yeah uh, that was a good vibe for that game uh, i feel like yeah. with rockstar stuff i i tend to like really appreciate and admire it more than like actively like it. i think the two games that really worked for me were both red dead games um yeah. even then i had like kind of mixed feelings on both but like those came closest for me being like a rockstar fan um and again yeah. like all their games have like they've been important in just the history of games like whether mm-hmm. you like them or not like gta 3 was about as foundational to like modern games as you can get totally you know, in the open world genre so yeah i always admire them but I, I i struggle to connect to them except for the the cowboy ones i'm so maybe this one is alongside that i'm extremely with you yeah the only rockstar game i ever truly loved and finished was the first red dead redemption um, yeah all of the other ones i've had a harder time with and la noir feels because it's so left field for them as a developer it just it just feels like the one that I probably have the best shot at getting into because like you know GTA is a known quantity, right? You know? It's like I I always know what that vibe is going to be like. You know, e- even if they're kind of pushing in different directions thematically, like the game will still be Grand Theft Auto because people will revolt if it's not. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and there's a place for that type of. I, I think there's a you know not to be too beholden to genre names because we've talked a lot about how that can be limiting, but. I, I do see GTA more as a sandbox than an open world where it's like yeah. this is sort of alongside the games like uh, what was that like cyber cop game uh, crackdown. Yeah. Like these are games where you just or, or just because I think the platonic ideal of that type of game where it's like this is just like you're a superhero or supervillain. You're just going to cause chaos and have mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Whereas I think open world games, it, it's a little bit more of an lack of a better phrase, an open term it can mean a lot of different things yeah i think that's the thing that i i want to explore more in eleanor probably next time i sit down to play it because i i spend so much time in that game just making my way from case to case and like destination to destination i'm always having my partner drive from point a to point b because i think that's like weirdly more immersive than driving myself because the driving is so weird um but i am curious how much of the world i can interact with outside of cases or in between cases like they they say pretty early on in the opening tutorials like any door with a gold handle is a place that you can enter and i wonder if that's also true outside of the the uh confines of the case that i'm doing at that moment like can i go to a gun store and like just talk to a guy you know like in the middle of a case uh kind of curious to see I'll, I'll report back on that eventually if i if i make it that far yeah i'd like to hear more about that part of the game um but all that said i i do think you'd probably like it i think you'll i think you'd have an interesting time checking it out honestly my my weird big regret is not playing this on the switch i feel like this would be really fun on switch um <laughs> interesting but uh i'm playing on xbox it's it like works fine to be yeah. clear but uh something about having that game on switch seems really funny to me uh, yeah my <laughs> it's, big, it's so antithetical to the switch and, my and, big gripe yeah. and i'm trying to figure out if this is if this is a purposeful of the era choice. And when I say of the era, I mean like the 40s choice. But a lot of, the, although the the facial 
stuff is great. Like everything in terms of like uh, actors, facial performances are like reads really well. As you mentioned, like they're, they are pasted onto the kind of like 2011 uh, body meshes, which is a little strange. Um, But the big thing that's rubbing me the wrong way is the audio. And I don't know if this is just because of like my life and my career, (laughs) But but the audio, like it sounds, every person sounds so much like somebody who's sitting in a recording booth and not like, the sound is diegetic to the place that they're in. I see. So like moments where I'm talking to a person and we're walking through a building and then we walk into like an outside space and then back into a building, their audio sounds exactly the same no matter where they are the whole time. And I that, see. that feels weird to me. Like that, that is the thing that's breaking the immersion more than anything else, uh, which is strange. And I wonder how much of that is like, did they just need to compress the audio down a whole bunch just to make it fit on the disc? Because famously, usually, uh, audio by itself is like the thing that takes up most of the storage space oh really i didn't know that at at least in like earlier console generations yeah uh, i think that's less of an issue now i I think probably the like 4k textures are the thing that's really yeah adding to the 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 data load (laughs) the data load i remember Uh, though that 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 was limitation i think in the dark souls remastered on switch because they had to like uh, compress the audio to make it like playable it all sounds so crunchy yeah yeah it's weird and i wonder if that's the case with la noir also i'm sure that that's the case on the switch version if i were to guess yeah yeah probably a lot of audio anyway la noir it's a good game despite that last little bit uh (laughs) i like it a lot let's take a break sound zero out of (laughs) ten let's take a break i'll see you soon bye-bye bye-bye Steven, I'm bringing a game to the show that I haven't brought in a long time. Uh, on purpose, haven't brought it to the show in a long time. Uh, that game is Destiny 2 uh, by Bungie Entertainment. We're back. Bungie Just when we think we're out, we're pulled back <laughs> they in. They pull you right back in. Yeah. Look, if this is your first episode of the show, the conceit is we bring games to the show when we like them. I initially started playing Destiny 2 this week because there's a new expansion that came out that's called Lightfall, which is supposed to be the penultimate expansion before the end of the story that they started with Destiny 1, which oh, is wow. very interesting to me because I, as we've talked about in the past, uh, I started playing Destiny in the alpha, uh, covering it for a site that we both used to write for uh, and got completely hooked on that game. I had a really good group of people that I used to play it with like constantly. I loved Destiny 1. Destiny 2 came out kind of felt the same way it has its highs and lows which we'll get into uh you know expansions come out and they're good and expansions come out and they're bad and sometimes even just in between expansions the game gets worse or gets better because of different uh patches and and upgrades and seasons and things like that like they've they've changed so much about this game since its first release as destiny one but even since destiny two came out that it's like in some ways unrecognizable. It's like a shadow of the thing that I remember in some cases. So for me with destiny Two, the last time I talked about it, we just looked this up was in 2020 when the new generation of consoles came out. But before that I had stopped playing it in 2018 because a game like destiny two, which is a live service video game that is updating constantly new content every single week, things like that. Like it demands that you check in and play it a lot, not conducive to having a video game podcast at all, <laughs> because then just every single week I'd be like, "Hey, here's what I did in Destiny 2. I fucking shot an alien in the head." Uh, what did I you always play liked hearing about it, but yeah, it, it was a little bit like I kind of felt like how I imagined my dad feels when I explained the show to him, where I'm like, "Oh, that's nice," like you know, right. like, yeah. <laughs> all of that said, uh, I, I put Destiny down for a long time, uh, and 
was curious because it has been uh, at, at this point, I, I guess about three years almost since we last talked about it. Jesus. Wild to yeah. think about. I was curious how much the game had changed. And I was so curious, in fact, that I deleted my like 10 year plus save file in wow. Destiny 2 and just started from scratch. I was like, let me see what the new player experience is like, because I wanted to start the game fresh see you know get tutorialized on all of the changes hypothetically and then move into this new expansion and see what's going on story-wise and see okay are they going to catch me up on the previous expansions like what's going on here the reason i preface all this with we bring games to the show and we like them is because i do not like the new expansion like really at all (laughs) yeah i've i've found it to be just like almost like devoid of anything interesting which is kind of a bummer (laughs) to say especially considering how hyped up it was i remember i even i remember when they announced it. it's called lightfall i remember when they announced lightfall and it had this really interesting uh this really interesting key art for it which is this big pyramid which has been kind of like hunting the big orb that has been the logo of destiny for so long this big orb is called the traveler i won't get into the lore of it all but the whole idea was like there's this big orb that's floating on like above earth and it's the reason we're able to uh, resuscitate ourselves when we die and, and essentially be immortal beings. It's the reason we have all this space magic, et cetera, et cetera. It's not the monolith, but like even more benevolent. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then over time, they've asked some questions about like, okay, how benevolent is the traveler, et cetera, et cetera. But all of that knowing like it's giving you, the player, and and the other people you're playing with the power of the light. And that kind of implies that there is a darkness somewhere and that darkness has been this kind of like looming pyramid that has been inching ever closer to earth ever since the beginning of destiny one. And when they announced lightfall, the key art was here's the fucking pyramid, my guy. And it says lightfall. What that has now changed to is like an eighties synth wave <laughs> cyberpunk hell, uh, which is like completely removed from the thing that I was expecting when I picked it up because I was so excited, like thinking back on that first announcement. What I've since learned is that they've split up Lightfall, which was supposed to be like one big final chapter into two chapters. So we have this one for now for the next year and then next year's will be the end. All of that having been said, uh, I I planned initially on talking about Lightfall. I'm uninterested in doing that. What I am interested in talking about is where Destiny is at now if you're a new player. Yeah. Because starting this game from scratch... I, if again, similarly uh, to the LA Noir thing, I did a stream of this experience. Um, I initially, for the first like two or three hours, I was like, this new player experience is a mess. It's a, it's a nightmare. I don't understand what they've changed. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't really know what's going on. And the reason for that is because when you start the game, they throw you into the free to play version of Destiny, which is called New Light, which is supposed to be this like new onboarding experience for new players. And it's a bunch of story missions that you do that take place in the exact same spot that the original destiny first opened. So like you're kind of replaying tweaked versions of the original missions of destiny, but in an order that will hopefully ease you into understanding the different pieces of destiny. So this is a game that is a live service game that is supposed to be the everything game, right? It has solo content. It has, uh, you know, missions that you can go on with other people where you can match make into the missions with other people. It has like six man raids that you can jump into, but it also has a PVP element called the crucible where you could just play essentially like you know team deathmatch forever um and then they have other things that are blends of pvp and pve so they're really trying to encapsulate everything and they want destiny to be a game that you can come into and play and progress no matter what you're doing and this opening new light thing i weirdly think doesn't do a very good job of easing you into that because what it's really just teaching you is like here's a bunch of lore that you missed here's how to shoot gun 
and here's a couple different mission types and then they put you on the destination screen which is like every planet that you can visit most of them are blocked because they're like you got to pay us 40 dollars for the expansion to go to this planet and then uh it's kind of just like yeah figure it out um and i think that that is troubling and not very good yeah I mean, I so my Destiny 2 experience is very different because I, I actually played it before we were even doing the show. I, I've mentioned how like um, I kind of got back into games in a big way in 2017, kind of starting with Persona 5, and then I was just like interested in, in checking out newer games. Mm-hmm. Um, and Destiny 2 is not really something I would normally go for. Like I've never really been that into Halo. I'm not really that into FPS games, but I just seen enough footage that I was curious. Yeah. Um, I remember I got Destiny 2 and I played through that like original what is it called the Red War the now? Red War, yeah. Uh that original campaign is honestly pretty solid. I think the big critique of Destiny 2 when it came out ironically was that there really wasn't much to do after that. Um mm-hmm. that you would do this core campaign that was like pretty good and then the game was kind of over unless you were like grasping at straws. And yeah. now it's almost the opposite problem where it's like I I kind of wish they just kept that core campaign cuz that was that wasn't a bad way to like get you into the story and teach you how to play. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think the the thing that you're alluding to is they've now removed that campaign. The original campaign that was available in destiny two is no longer available there uh, at a certain point during the new light experience. They lead you to this icon that you can hover over called the timeline. And when you click on it, it shows you the timeline of everything that's happened in destiny two. And it essentially takes all of these expansions, which were like the big expansion that came out that year and dilutes them down into like three sentences, which I think is very funny in terms of like talking about how the lore of this game has inched forward so slowly (laughs) and incrementally over the years, especially the campaigns that like weren't as well received because they didn't progress the story at all. It's like, yeah, we found this guy and he was dead and it turns out he's not. All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, You know, things like that. So the Red War being this like big cataclysmic event that opened up Destiny 2 where you lost all of your progress from Destiny 1 for like story reasons. They like blew up all of your it's old like shit. It's like Realm Reborn almost. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it, it it wiped out the, the hub world that you played in Destiny 1 the whole time and introduced a new one. And like that was that was a fascinating thing and a really cool thing to set up the stakes in terms of like what Destiny 2 was going to be about. Um, and then they, they just got rid of it. And now it's like four sentences on this timeline page. So all that said, I, my first like two hours playing through the new light stuff, I was like, this is not compelling for me. Uh, let me jump into Lightfall and see how that is. And that also wasn't working for me. So I kind of took a step back after all this and I was like, what do I, what do I want out of destiny Two? Like, why, why am I doing yeah. this really? Like, why am I playing this game again? Um, and that led me to a screen that they had, a, they had like kind of inched me towards occasionally but like didn't really explain in any way um outside of the one billion pop-ups that have been showing up it's kind of hard to tell like what is important and what's not in terms of like how they're trying to lead you into the new player experience but they added this new thing that's called the journey and the journey is it's see i think it's 13 steps that you go through but it starts off you know step one go do a couple missions essentially the new light campaign uh and when you do that they bump you up to step two and step two they give you a really like clean page of quests it's like okay go meet each of the individual vendors in the like hub area uh and see what they're all about and each of those people gives you a quest go do all of those quests 
Uh, so you're doing like, you know, one uh, strike, which is essentially like matchmaking into a mission with a bunch of people um, and just making your way to the end of that. OK, you talk to the guy that runs the Crucible. Go uh, get the quest from him. Oh, yeah. Do your placement matches so we can understand like how good you'll be and we can figure out matchmaking for you. Great. Easy. Go talk to the gunsmith. He'll be like, yeah, break down four weapons so you can get the materials out of them. You understand what the materials are, et cetera. And then you move your way up to step three of the journey and so on and so on and so on. And each time it gets a little bit more complex. And that is great. That is where I've been having the most fun in Destiny, weirdly, is just making my way through this thing that is actually an introduction to how Destiny works and how to play and specifically guiding you into what to do next. Because it's so daunting, even before I downloaded Lightfall and before I like erased my character and like figured out like, okay, I'm going to start this from scratch. I had to sit back because this game used to be available on Game Pass and they had all the expansions on Game Pass. But now Bungie is owned by Sony. So there's like a whole thing where they removed it all from Game Pass. So I, I sat back and I had to ask myself like, okay, what do I even need to download to play this game? Because I know that Destiny 2 is free, so I can download that. But like, do I need expansions? Do I need to be paying for the previous expansions? Each of them seem to be like $40 or $20. They're like all over the map price wise. What do I need to actually have a good time? So my thought was like, I'm just going to get Destiny 2 and I'm going to get Lightfall and I'll just see how that goes. Um, what I found in doing this journey thing is that the most interesting stuff to do is all from the previous campaign, which is called the Witch Queen. That shit rules, which I, ha- I haven't downloaded. I haven't paid for Was that it. on the moon? Was that the moon? I have uh, no idea. Oh, okay. It might be. I think it's in this It's in this kind of like weird alternate dimension thing. I, I won't get into the story stuff. Um, I forget what it's called. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of the Copied City, actually. Oh, um, cool. It's kind of the energy. Um, but all of that said, you can still do some of that content for free. Uh, it's like available in uh, the Crucible and it's available in the Strike playlist and stuff like that. So like I've been enjoying the witch queen stuff enough that i'm like oh man when i'm done with lightfall i might actually go back and play witch queen and just like do that stuff instead yeah. <laughs> like, that'll, be, that'll be kind of the crux of what i'm playing um but all that said the the journey page has been the best onboarding to destiny i've ever seen like of, of all the stuff that they force you to do in the first like two to three hours of downloading destiny 2 and starting to play it making your character and etc all of that pales in comparison to just like following the journey step by step and being like okay what do i have to do next so like i'm on this uh bit right now where i need to just like do an exotic quest like they gave me a quest that's like yeah when you're done with this you'll get an exotic weapon which are like the highest tier weapons that you can get um and we're going to teach you like how to get an exotic weapon what that entails and then after that, how to upgrade that weapon and how to like add different uh, looks to it and things like that. And that's cool because so much of the game that appealed to me in the past was like the fashion of it all, like getting oh, yeah, cool armor, too. making it look the way you want, like equipping it with the right stats um, and applying the different like paint jobs are called shaders. I uh, love the art direction, like the the, yes. the concept art for the planets and the way the characters look and the various armor. It's all amazing. It's so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. The, the thing I frequently say about Destiny 2 is that it always looks like concept art, which I think yeah. is like the <laughs> highest praise you can give any game is like if if the game itself looks like the concept art for the game then you've achieved something in terms of art direction that a lot of like even films pale in comparison to i think absolutely Um, and destiny 2 does such a good job of that but the idea that this journey page is also teaching you like yeah there's joy in just like putting cool armor on and like strutting your stuff is like they get it they get it and they're and they're trying to teach the player every single reason that they might like destiny which i think is 
honestly really smart. It honestly sounds like it's benefiting from what we always point to, which is the design by subtraction mantra of Team Eco, where it's like, what is, like you said, like what is the core of Destiny? And I think it's hard to design by subtraction in a live service game, which is like built around addition. (laughs) But I do think like thinking, why am I here? Like, Why Mm -hmm. am I playing this? I mean, my very limited time with Destiny 2 was really driven by just like, it's a very comfortable game. Like it feels really good. Uh, The stakes are there, but like, unless you're playing competitively, it's not really like, it doesn't really matter. Like you can kind of (laughs) just, I I play this game extremely hungover. That was my foundational experience (laughs) with it. I like impulse bought it in like maybe the worst hangover hangover of my life. And I have a very fond memory of it. Just like guiding me through that pain um that the red war is maybe like the best hangover cure that exists like better than the raw egg in the in the glass um anyway uh but the the the, even as someone that doesn't gravitate towards fps it's maybe the best feeling shooter that exists totally yeah um and i think that while the story can be hit or miss I i do think there's cool world building and lore and just like being in the places like just walking around the the last city is that what's called yeah. um it's so cool so i think that like really i mean what they're nailing is the mmo of it all you know yes. i think the the i mean ff14 is basically a fashion game which is i think why it's so popular because ff14 is well it has these amazing story content that i still need to see most of because i've only played realm reborn i do think the driving force of that game is like you will have this attachment to the character you've made and like feel a strong place in that world Mm -hmm. you know and i think destiny can benefit from focusing on that as well yeah yeah i think that's the bigger frustration point about lightfall for me is they introduce this new city and even on the quest screen it's called another last city (laughs) all right um but they introduced the city on the planet neptune which has gone missing or was missing for years and years and years um and it turns out that people live there at a, at a certain point a, a certain subsect of humanity like left earth and all of the other colonized planets and like moved over to neptune and then hid the planet um but the big thing about this city it's called neomuna the big thing about neomuna is that when you show up there the only people that you meet are these these two kind of like silver surfer-esque people called uh, cloud striders and they're like yeah everybody who lives on neptune has uploaded their consciousness to like essentially Mark Zuckerberg's dream of what VR can be. (laughs) And they inhabit the world via these like kind of like golden floating crystal looking things, but they're not actual people. So you can like see like ghosts of people hanging out, but you can't interact with them. And it doesn't feel like the world is lived in at all. It just feels like this big, empty kind of like 80s synthwave space that has nothing going on in it by way of like character or or like uh interesting culture which is kind of a bummer uh because because it if filled with life it could have been a really interesting space to explore but i've found that like of all of the open spaces that you can traverse in destiny 2 neomuna is the one i'm least interested in going to even though it's the one that will give me the greatest rewards if i was to do it like if i were to actually focus on doing all the neomuna stuff i would probably be a much higher power level than i am now uh you know in terms of like the turn your brain off shoot gun at alien make number go up of destiny 2 like neomuna is the place where that is the best technically if you're trying to like optimize your time um but i'm not trying to optimize my time which i think is trying to have fun i'm just trying to have fun which i think is uh the the most healthy relationship i've ever had with destiny 2 
which is nice. Um, I'm glad you found yeah. a place for it. Cause I know, I know you, you've had a long and, and sometimes Rocky history with this franchise. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. Cause the, the different expansions, as I said, vary in quality wildly. Uh, and what I found over the past week is the best thing for me to do maybe is to just check in with the game every three years. Um, I, I tweeted about this, but it's like, it was like upgrading from like an iPhone six to an iPhone 14 pro. It's like the, I think if you're in the shit and you're playing destiny and that's like your game that you're playing all the time and you're getting every expansion and keeping up with all the seasons as they happen, I think there's probably a tendency to get bummed out by the incremental upgrades that happen on a yearly basis. Whereas for me leaving the game for three years and coming back and seeing all of the quality of life stuff that they changed, it's like hugely rewarding and very interesting for me. And now I can go pick and choose and say like, okay, what expansions do people like? Let me just, play those instead yeah honestly this whole conversation is inspiring me to go back to final fantasy 14 <laughs> which was a game that you and i played back in like the very very beginning of 2020 we both yeah. got really into it and i have finished realm reborn like i've seen that through and for those who don't know like ff14 is similar in that there are these like big story expansions that add a lot of content to the game but Unlike Destiny, it feels like each expansion with FF14 just gets better and better in terms of the critical yeah. reception. Yeah. Um, and there's an option where you can just like kind of pay an entrance fee and just cut right to one of them. Uh, so, but they're I mean apparently that, so good that like, why do that? You know, I think I think the reason yeah. to do that is just to like catch up with your friend who is telling you you gotta play Final Fantasy 14. You know, yeah. Which I I honestly expected Destiny 2 to try and do to me. You know, yeah. like coming in as a new player and buying Lightfall, I think that's like the optimal thing that Bungie wants people to be doing right now, right? I mean, that's why they're pushing the marketing so heavily. Like Lightfall is this big, huge expansion. It seems like they want to be pulling new players in. It's just weird that it's Lightfall that they're like, you know, all the eggs are Going in that basket in instead yeah. of being like, what if we took a step back and waited till the story was done, you know, with whatever the next expansion is going to be and be like, this is your on ramp where you get to experience this entire like 10 to 12 year storyline all at once, I think might be more compelling to people. But uh, I don't know. It, it's it's a really interesting time to be playing that game. But uh, sorry, back to your Final Fantasy 14 thing. I think, yeah, I, think you're I, right. I guess like, you got to play through all of that stuff individually. The um, the other thing, too, is like, it's a game that also wants you to like this is your main game. They want you to be playing yeah. FF14 and FF14 alone. Um, but like, I just know I will love all that stuff so much that like, like I loved Realm Reborn, which is like unanimously considered the bad one. Um, <laughs> but the thing about Realm Reborn is you can see it getting better. Right. And I feel like it is kind of worth experiencing just to kind of see the game finding its voice. Right. That's just my white whale. Like eventually I will get to, uh, whatever the next, I think it's heaven's word is like the second one. Yeah. Um, and that's all about the, like dragon people, which my character is. I'm very excited to see mm. what that even means. Yeah. Cause I've always felt like the odd one out in in the story of Realm Reborn, which is just star Wars at a certain point. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's I digress. kind of the thing about this style of game though, is like, as I mentioned with destiny Two, it's not conducive to, having a podcast like this but yeah I, I think like even removed from that it's not really conducive to my life in general as it stands like even removing into the aether from it like just playing destiny 2 is not a thing that i really want to be doing like if i'm going to sit down and play video games i'd rather be kind of understanding more what my taste is um that's kind of it's not the main reason that i sit down and like enjoy media but uh i i do like to kind of expand my horizons and if i'm just playing destiny 2 over and over and over again and doing yeah. the same mission repeatedly it's like 
maybe not. Final Fantasy, on the other hand, has that forward progress where like everything that's in that game is worth doing, which is kind of wild. Yeah. I mean, how how many games have that? I think Destiny 2 is the the closest you get to the the achievements of Final Fantasy 14 in some cases in terms of like live live service games that are like still kicking and still bringing new people in. Uh, it's like those are the two that people talk about, really. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else yeah. who's tried has kind of like fallen flat on their face. It's why I'm so bummed about the Suicide Squad game. Did you watch that PlayStation event? No, I didn't. What happened? They showed off the new Suicide Squad game by Rocksteady. And it's like it's it's as if Destiny had just come out and like a bunch of executives were like, do that. But with DC characters and it's like. Such a bummer. It's like so it's so weird, especially like just in terms of the power sets of the individual members of the Suicide Squad. It's like for some reason, Boomerang is Spider-Man. You know, and he, <laughs> he has like a bunch of guns instead of a boomerang. I don't know. It's like it's so confusing yeah. why that's the decision that they made. It's like it, it just feels like a thing that's going to be dead on arrival, which is so upsetting. I mean, you know, look, I'll give it a shot if it comes out and people are like, yeah, this is worth playing because uh, like how often does Rocksteady fuck up their video games? Very infrequently. Um, but I just think that the the world is kind of moving past the live service games that didn't already establish themselves and like get it right and have the have the time and the and the investment that they need, like monetarily speaking, to continue to improve and get better and get to a place where they're going to be. Because all of these games, Destiny and Final Fantasy 14 are both perfect examples of this launched like very poorly. Yeah. And then eventually got better. And so frequently these live service games launch and then are never given the time to improve themselves and get to the place that they were supposed to be when they launched. Um, so I just, I just, I, I see the Suicide Squad thing and I'm like, all right, man. I mean, give it your best shot, but are you going <laughs> to shut it down in 2025? You know, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the base of the project has to be like a interesting idea. Because if your whole goal is just to like, I want to make another live service game, that is sort of foundation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's obviously a business strategy going on with FF14 and with Destiny 2, but mm-hmm. I do think like the the will to save FF14, you know, like the people that like were tasked with saving that and literally making that story canon in the world of Final Fantasy XIV, yeah. like the desire to save the game combining with resetting the timeline basically is brilliant. And I think the reason people stick around with that game is largely for just like the sense of place in the story. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think like ultimately we've just seen too many games try to be this and then kind of disappear when they don't work, which is a really like, disappointing way to make any kind of game yeah. or any medium really yeah but uh all i just say i think with ff14 maybe like down the road i i will task myself with like, okay maybe we can do a bonus for like this expansion mm. and that way like i'll actually get it done i'm in that doldrums between like once you beat rum reborn there is this weird segment where they're like can you like dust some paintings before heaven's word begins and that's <laughs> really? like, where i am yeah oh, they've apparently shortened how long it takes but there's like kind of a weird post game to Rum or Born that is like the that's like the point where most people fall off and I just need to power through that. Yeah. Um that's very interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I the, the big thing about Final Fantasy 14 for me is the ongoing monthly subscription for it. Yeah, that's another thing. Why it's I it's stopped. a little too expensive, especially given how much we're spending on games already, even with the Patreon helping out, like it's 
I think I would justify the price when I'm not playing it every day. Yeah, I need to have more time or more money to play F14, basically. Which is not where you want to be with any game. You know, as as soon as you have to ask yourself that question, it's like, all right, I already have uh, Spelunky two on my Nintendo Switch. Yeah, right. So playing Spelunky, it will happen eventually. But I think for now, our our priorities are elsewhere. Um, But I know that people will be very excited if we were able to check out that stuff. That is one of my favorite bonuses we've ever done. We did uh, we did a bonus for the like the I would say what first like 20 hours of Final Fantasy 14 somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, And we did that bonus and recorded it inside of Final Fantasy 14. You can go find that video. Yeah, uh, we we recorded the episode while playing it and streaming it, um, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, we, Uh, we haven't done that again, but I feel like that'd be a fun one to do. We should maybe just do that again in Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, or we could do a Mario Kart bonus and just be playing Mario Kart. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah. Dude, anyway. I love uh, the accelerator button. I, I'm I'm happy to hear that there is a version of Destiny 2 that is a good on-ramp for new players. I've always, like, when we played it a few years ago, I, I was, like, hoping to maybe get into it and, like, learn more about it, but it just sort of fizzled out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so. I think, you know... If you're a person who has listened to this whole segment and you're like, okay, I'm going to check it out. I think just like bear with those first couple missions. And then when you get to the last city, which is like kind of the hub and you start to meet people, that's when you should really focus on that journey screen and just like do everything that it says. Uh, Because up until I'm currently making my way into step six of that 13 step, whatever. Um, And by this point, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good amalgamation of a lot of the changes that they've made. Um, and just like what I want to be doing when I'm playing destiny, uh, which I think is really nice. But all of that said, like, definitely you're going to have to go to Google and like search for some stuff every once in a while. There's this like whole new system of like modifying your armor with things called mods that like, I just didn't understand. I had to Google what that meant and like how to do it and why it's (laughs) useful. Um, but what I've learned also is like, until you hit the certain power cap that the game is set at now, um, it's not even worth really investing in any of the equipment that you're picking up. It's like always just equip whatever is the strongest thing you have and then continue to do that until you hit the power cap. And then that's when you take stock of everything you own and you're like, okay, what is actually good? Like what is actually (laughs) useful for me? Um, Which honestly feels really nice. And I think is a thing that like destiny two is really interesting to me because of where like, yes, the game is about that grind and that chasing the higher uh, light level as it were over time and you will never have a better version of that than when you're a new player because everything that drops is better than the thing that you're currently wearing you will always get a better helmet than the one that you have on at that moment and then as soon as you hit that power cap it's like now you need to spend you know a week trying to get whatever that thing is is going to push you up a little bit higher uh which you know is fine if that's the one game that you're playing but uh in terms of me somebody who just set up a new character and is like yeah i'm going to invest like a week or two into seeing what this feels like uh it's just constant highs, which is great. I'm busy playing Mario. Thanks. <laughs> You're right. We should end the segment. Thank you, <laughs> Destiny no. 2. Thank you, Bungie. Uh, Thank I'm excited you. to see what you have going on next year in whatever that final thing is going to be called. Uh, I will say the big bad of this storyline is named The Witness. And every time they trend on Twitter, because they trend on Twitter every time there's like a, a big Destiny thing, uh, I do think they're talking about the the Jonathan Blow game, the follow-up to Braid, <laughs> uh, which, you know, that, that guy sucks, but that game is good. Uh, but I'm always like, why is The Witness trending? And then I remember that there's 
this character in, in Destiny 2 named The Witness, who honestly, great character I design. I don't know if you saw, did you see? No, the I did. Like? I, I am obsessed with their characters. And when they show up and it's as if glass breaks in reality. Yeah. And their head is constantly smoking, which like should look stupid. Yeah. Like if someone pitched that idea in like a, you know, writer's room, like what if his head was always smoking like a volcano? But their, their head, the smoke is made of faces, which it's is like, so cool. Yeah. And it's like milky almost. Yeah. It's, it's like, very it's like skulls kind of floating out of the top of their head. It's so, so interesting. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Destiny. Honestly, I'm really interested to know like story wise, what's going to happen when this saga is done. It reminds me so much of Metroid dread in that way, where it's like dread was kind of the culmination of all the other Metroid games, but they're like, it's not the last one. Okay. So what does the next Metroid look like? Like yeah, what do happens you, to I Samus mean, next? It sounds like, do you think it's likely that this will lead to basically destiny three, like new slate? I don't you know. know. I hope to God that, that, that was what I talked a lot about in my stream is like, as as much as I've now fallen into enjoying the new player experience, even though I was having a rocky start at the beginning, I do think that there's nothing better than just wiping the whole slate clean and saying, let's start from scratch again. And I yeah. I, I think that Destiny could use that um, if it wants to continue to be relevant. But also we know that like, you know, Bungie is working on other things that aren't Destiny related. Like there there have been enough rumors and enough like job postings on Bungie.net to to prove that Bungie is working on stuff outside of the realm of Destiny that like maybe that's maybe that's where their heads at. Maybe Destiny 2 is a thing that like when the story is done it just, you know, is a game you can continue to check into, but whatever they have coming is what's next. And I'm sure that's why PlayStation bought them at, at a certain point is to like reel in whatever that next thing is going to be. You know, it's like okay, the team that made Destiny is making something new. Let's make sure that that's best on Sony platforms. And maybe that thing is Destiny 3. And I think that that'd be exciting. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, that's exciting. Well, once I have more free time, I can't wait to meet Emmett Selch, who is uh, an iconic villain from Final Fantasy 14. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they were from Destiny. And I was like, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I just remember there was a popularity poll of Final Fantasy villains and Emmett Selch won first. And I'm like, whoa, if if I'm the Final Fantasy guy on this show, it's pathetic that I haven't even met number one, (laughs) you know, so I got to get on my shit. I think he's in Shadowbringers or whatever Mm. that was called. Shadowbreakers. People really like that villain in 15. Oh, yeah. You know who I I also I think 12 had some pretty there's that speech that the villain gives like oh, to kind yeah. of like at the top calm the, the down very, the crowd like, yeah. yeah the the uh lord of the rings uh phantom menace kind of energy yeah Cut but like if it, yeah. yeah exactly um there's some there's some good villains great oh, opening spe- to that game speaking of final fantasy villains uh i think that's a good segue into our next section oh sure do you want to take a break and then we'll we'll talk about yeah. the game that yeah, you're playing I, I need to think about emmett selch for a bit and then we'll be good me too i really need to <laughs> meditate on i want to sit like a yarl and just think about emmett for a few minutes yeah okay see you later bye-bye brendan mm-hmm. one of my christmas gifts was a very generous best buy gift card um and with it i i got several things a toaster Ooh. um i got uh all of uh, excuse me yeah all of cowboy bebop on blu-ray oh uh in in sort of the paranoia of like what will be on streaming stuff <laughs> right. i've been thinking about like what are the things i want what are the series and movies that i want forever yeah that's one of them right got that i also got speaking of things i want forever um i got the final fantasy 7 prequel crisis core final fantasy 7 reunion Reunion. This is a remaster available on I think all systems. Currently. Yeah, what'd you get it for? PS5. I got it for PS5. 
which is interesting, and I'll get to why. But this is a remaster of a PSP game that came out in 2007. Mm. It's it's interesting because I think based on the marketing of it, it, I wasn't clear if it was like a ground up remake akin to like FF7 remake, and yeah. they're just doing that for Crisis Core now. Um, it's definitely more of a remaster. I'm not familiar enough with the original game to know like what has been changed but like you can tell when you're back in psp is the bones land uh <laughs> yes. and then like some cut scenes look like ff7 remake yeah but overall it seems to have kept the original game intact and you we've actually brought this game to the show before you had explained like how the game worked and i think it's kind of worth knowing even if you're a big ff7 fan i think it is worth knowing what this game is before you start it because you could be wildly confused totally yeah so we'll get to the narrative I, I i do think you can't really explain this game without spoiling a little bit of ff7 so i'll give a warning before i do that um but mechanically this game is very interesting because it's it's mission based and you mentioned in in your psp section a week or two ago that like this game was clearly made with like doing bits and pieces like kind of on the go and passing. So yeah. you'd like do a mission that's like roughly an hour and then check in later. I actually read that this was originally going to be a mobile game, um, but Whoa. they decided to kind of focus on the PSP. God, what phone in that era could run <laughs> this idea? I think it's because there is another FF7, yet another FF7 spinoff game that was mobile only in Japan that was all about the Turks, the FF7, uh, or the Shinra group that were like the sort of Team Rocket of FF7. But anyway, you can kind of tell that this was like began as a mobile game because like all mid-aughts Nomura properties, flip phones play a prominent role. (laughs) Which I can't get over. If I hadn't already seen Evan Children, yeah, I my head would have exploded. Yeah, um, because not only are flip phones prevalent, but they are like essentially akin to lightsabers in this world. Like, <laughs> if, if, like Nomura yes. sees flip phones as George Lucas sees lightsabers. Everyone who has a flip phone is like on a mission and they can only do the mission with the flip phone. Yes. It's incredible. It's like the first thing that happens in this game is Zach jumps off a train and <laughs> his Motorola razor. Yeah. So I guess I'll get into like what this game is narratively. I, I, it won't, I won't go out of my way to spoil, but I, I do think like you can't really explain who Zach is without spoiling a bit of FF seven. So just heads up small FF seven spoiler, but Zach in the original FF seven is, is more of a plot twist than an actual character. Um, and I've always sort of been skeptical of the spinoff media that has like been propping up Zach as a character. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't really care about Zach. Like, you know, my foundation being the original FF seven, I'm like he, his introduction is cool. And I think it, it, you know, but his existence is basically to make cloud more interesting. So I'm like, I don't really need to know. It's almost kind of a star Wars prequely. And I think this is also just, by nature of it be, being a prequel, the pitfall of all prequels that everyone points to the Star Wars ones doing, but I think it's just inherent to the idea of a prequel is that like sometimes you give things too much importance in a way that actually makes it less interesting. Yes. So I was kind of skeptical. Like I, I, on one hand, I'm like, well, I feel like Nomura wants me to know who Zach is because Zach is also seemingly going to play a role in ff7 remake as well yeah that seems to be more important so all that like i i'm like okay i think i need to know and now that i've watched advent children and like 
kind of enjoyed it. I mean, actually very <laughs> much enjoyed it. We were so prepared to like scoff at that whole movie and we both had a great time. Yeah, what a fun uh, time that was. I was like, okay, I feel like I've been fully prepped for whatever on earth this game is. Uh, that's all about Zach. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this. I, I actually have been endeared to Zach more than I was expecting to. I, I think it's interesting to have a character that is basically sort of like a Sora optimistic shonen protagonist in the world of ff7 which is typically kind of gloomy and even the sort of more like positive characters are kind of affected by the world in a way that like brings them down and like kind of challenges their hope Mm -hmm. and i think i'm curious to see like what learning more about the world will do to zach because he begins the game just like i'm here i want to be a hero and like at first i was like i'm a little bit nervous because one, this is very strange. Uh, it, it's like totally antithetical to Cloud, and like this is the mood of FF Seven. Yeah. The other thing that made me have all my hairs kind of stand up on edge was Zach and his mentor Angeal uh, are both wearing the exact same outfit that Cloud was wearing, and and this is kind of where I'm like, I never thought Cloud's turtleneck was the official uniform of soldier. Mm. And I feel like if it was, I missed that tidbit. But what I, what I read from that scene was like, I'm like, okay, we don't need to like give canonical importance to the turtleneck cloud happened to be wearing in the events of the core game. Like, I don't need this to be like the Jedi robes of soldier, you know, mm-hmm. that this right. sort of like confused me, but I will say like after the first like tutorial mission, I am much more invested in what this game is kind of exploring narratively. I mean, I think for one, there's a lot of dramatic irony knowing that Zack is working for the bad guys, essentially. Like having this like bright eyed hero be working for the antagonist, I think is a cool setup. Right. Um, And I do actually like Zack's relationships with other people. And I think his sort of, you know, mentor uh, character Angeal and him have like an interesting relationship um, and Sephiroth pretty early on is introduced as like a supporting character, which is maybe what I'm most curious about is seeing Sephiroth like as a person who like and not works as sort for of somebody else. Yeah. Right. And not as like the villain. And there have already been some really fun cameos that I won't spoil from like FF seven characters. And uh, this game is at least beginning is, is exploring the war of Shinra against Wutai which is one of the more interesting like beats of FF7 history in the core game that you don't really see a ton of unless you seek out the side quests. So yeah, right. I do think like what the game is actually trying to do as a prequel is worthwhile like seeing who Zack was and seeing like what was Soldier and Shinra's role in the world as Midgar was forming and becoming the place we know. Like yeah. I'm a big enough fan of, of FF7 and the extended media at this point that I'm enjoying that part of it. Um, Combat-wise, I at first, I was a little bit unsure of how I felt about it. Um, I think coming from FF7 Remake, you can see the direction they wanted to eventually move in, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah, It's a little bit stiff, and there's this sort of weird system where there's a roulette going on in the background where if it matches, you'll get like positive buffs or like the ability to do a limit break. There's something a little persona-y about it that I like, where all the icons on the roulette wheel are other characters in the game. And if Zach has like a positive relationship with them, which you have no control over, but like if he's just like thinking about Sephiroth, it will get like a buff. 
which I think is interesting. I don't know if it's like fully executed well. Yeah, it's and definitely the most divisive thing about this game's. Yeah, combat. I think it's for me. It's fine because it it's not it's never negative so it's just sort of something that's happening in the background that can like give you more options yeah it's just always there on the screen that's kind of the big thing for me which i i imagine was probably more frustrating on the smaller screen size of the yeah. psp always having a roulette wheel in the top left it's not as bad when you're playing like I, I i was playing this game on the switch um and having having it in you know the top left of my television is totally fine uh but like like you said the fact that you don't really need to think about it it's not like a thing that i'm like actively trying to maintain or whatever makes it fine i mean it's just like a passive thing it just kind of like is annoying to constantly have this little tiny roulette wheel spinning in the top left like visually it's distracting yeah it's 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 a confusing choice and I think the combat for me works best with the boss fights. I've really enjoyed the like g- give and take of the boss fights and the spectacle of that. Yeah. There's also like weirdly kind of a Muso feeling with the combat. Like the first mission you're in this Wutai base and you have to like run around and take out all the enemies. And I think this game is, is clearly a point in Final Fantasy history where they're more openly exploring their desire to make a character action game over turn-based combat, which honestly yeah. like... I think the irony to Final Fantasy is that that has been an interest since like the very beginning. Like the fact that the series has had turn-based combat kind of feels more like a byproduct of it being a placeholder and not being like the interest of the series. Yeah. Um we've had like offshoots like I think 10 and 12 and 5 are all interested in exploring what turn-based combat can look like, but I think overall the series has mostly been interested in spectacle and in like being cinematic than being turn-based so mm-hmm. now you know jumping forward to final fantasy 16 coming out and being much more like devil may cry i think is a very yeah. logical course of events but the combat's fine I, I think it's it's not it's not great it's not bad it's fun in passing um and i imagine too when this came out the idea of a real-time hack and slash final fantasy was probably exciting enough for it to be a fun novelty yeah i think in a, in a post remake world though it's a little bit like eh, it's okay but there <laughs> there are moments where i'm kind of reminded weirdly of yakuza and i feel like zach reminds me a lot of ichiban mm. um the moment totally. that came to mind was one of the like limit breaks is sang from the turks you can just call him on your flip phone and he just shows up in a helicopter and i'm like right. this feels right out of like a dragon yeah. Um, and Zach is just a very goofy character, which is kind of why I like him. I think he's like, he's often like the least powerful person in the room, but still has this optimism. I'm excited to see where his story goes, especially knowing that he was, you know, the, the first boyfriend of Aerith and like what that relationship looks like. So I'm enjoying it. I'm not like, I think I was more pleasantly surprised by Avon children which is kind of funny to say out loud like i think Avon children actually had more going on narratively than i was expecting it to yeah i'm kind of just here in crisis core to see like a little bit more like what i've heard from people who play and love this game is that it actually does develop sephiroth pretty well and it also like teaches you more about the world so i'm, I'm interested in that sort of like fun facts about the setting and to have more context for zach before the next chapter of remake comes out, but I would say if you're like a, if you're as big of a fan of FF7 as me, I think it's worth checking out at least. Um, the other thing too is that this game is pretty short, from what I've read. It's like somewhere between like fifteen to twenty hours. Mm, so that's not bad, yeah. Uh, I might just see it through just to like kind of know what happens, or maybe eventually just watch the cutscenes. But it's pretty cool. I, I definitely could see it being better on a handheld device, though, because I think there's something a little confusing about 
having it on the big TV and the PS5 and it feeling like it was made for a PSP. Yeah, I... So I picked this game up on Switch right when it came out. I've also played a little bit of the PSP version, as I mentioned, but um, most most of my experience with it has been on the Switch, uh, which I played docked instead of in handheld mode. And I think you might be right. Like maybe, maybe the move is to play it in handheld mode because as I, as I mentioned, and honestly, it comes up again in the 3DS bonus, which is coming out uh, this month, but it feels so much like a game designed to be played in short bursts. And unfortunately for me, my experience with it was doing those short bursts like three or four times and then you know something else coming out and then me going and playing that instead because essentially the way the way it works it's not too dissimilar from destiny in a really weird way where it's like (laughs) you're doing the same kinds of missions and the same kinds of experiences over and over again and then you're rewarded with story beats right which is like why you're there in the first place the whole idea of crisis core existing is like i want to know what this world was like before cloud showed up um or I guess before, you know, the main plot of Final Fantasy VII happened. Uh, so the reward of playing the game is seeing more story. And if that doesn't hook you early enough on, I think it could kind of fizzle out. Um, it is a game that I've had on my on my list to go back and give another shot, though, because I, I did enjoy the combat enough, surprisingly, that I kind of did want to go check it out again. And it runs really well on Switch. I was really surprised at how well it ran on Switch because it looks gorgeous i mean it's a really really beautiful video game um especially compared to the psp version Uh, yeah yeah it's cool though one area that i'm kind of disappointed by is the music is not great for final fantasy i i'm always blown away by the scores and and the music here feels a little bit underwhelming but maybe that's just where i'm at in the game Mm. um but overall it's been fun i mean i think like at this point, I kind of want to see it all. I want to play Dirge of Cerberus. You know, I want to. I want to really see. Want to play Dirge of Cerberus? All That's going to be so silly. All the weird corners of FF Seven at this point. Um, How many times do you we have to say Dirge of Cerberus on this podcast for a remake to get announced? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the interest visible of kind of bringing all FF Seven stories to light. I I imagine. Here's my prediction. I imagine that after FF Seven remake rebirth which is part two there's going to be vincent dlc akin right. to the yuffie dlc and around that time they will port at least port dirge cerberus to modern consoles i love that that's my prediction yeah kind of like how write we're getting right in the ledger we're getting this zach remaster right before part two comes out which i imagine you know zach will be in more yeah given what we've seen so, yeah. so that's zach core. it's a i i feel like i i feel two ways about it you know which i i hope i've communicated but it's like on one hand i think the the prequelness of it and and somewhat of the self-importance of it in some ways almost takes away from the magic of that world but i also Mm -hmm. do think there is interesting stuff happening here alongside that and like i feel like whenever i'm a big enough fan of ff7 that whenever I get more context for characters that I already care about or like a world that I've been invested in. It's been enjoyable to experience those beats. Yeah. Uh, that's crisis core. It's crisis core. That's all I got. I don't know if it's on Xbox. It's probably on Xbox, right? Let's look it up. Oh, it's on Xbox. Yeah. It's on Xbox. Cool. Yeah. It's on, it's on everything. Great. Well then dear listener, you can, you can play it. (laughs) You can experience Zach and his cell, his magical cell phone. Yeah. Uh, or you could play the Diofeld Chronicle, which is a game I <laughs> totally forgot existed. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. Sorry, I'm it, just on, I'm, I'm on Square Enix's website. I think I think that was the game where Square learned not every demo should be ten hours because that game was like 
basically I just needed 10 hours to know if I was going to get it or not. And I did not get it. <laughs> yeah. I spent 10 hours having a really good time and was like, I don't, I don't need the rest of this. And honestly, I mean, they've, yeah, they've I think the Octopath two demo, weirdly enough, I almost wish they had kept the 10 hour one. Like the, the three hour one felt a little bit limiting for me. Yeah. Uh, Cause that really just gives you time for like two, two or three chapters. Yeah. Um, and in my case, you can pick the wrong chapters <laughs> and be like, well, not a great demo. Whereas or if it had been a little bit longer, Oswald. my next person would have been Hikari and I would have had a great time. Yeah. And you also would have had more room to explore. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Anywho, Crisis Core, available on Crisis all platforms. Core. You can go check that out. Uh, also uh, available on the PlayStation Portable if you have one of those. And Here's my question for you. Do you think we're going to get... So Final Fantasy sixteen has a confirmed release date of in June. We're yes. going to get it this summer. That seems to be pretty set. We got told... FF7 Remake Rebirth. Mm. I was going to say Part 2. Sometimes you got to draw the line somewhere. Part 2 of Remake uh, is coming out this winter, which is a little vaguer. Do you think we're going to get both this year, or do you think one's going to get pushed back? I would bet that uh, 7 Remake Part 2 is going to get pushed back. Because I, I just feel like 16 and that coming out in the same year might be like, they might overlap each other a bit. I just yeah. wonder if Square wants them to have more time apart um and, yeah. I and when see... you think about like fiscally winter can also mean you know like almost now in yeah. four. <laughs> right? i i just feel like we're gonna get rebirth in march 24 that just feels like correct to me that, that feels right march or too. april yeah. yeah uh and then maybe towards the end of the year dragon quest if we're lucky oh wow yeah the the three remaster or the three remake oh i was talking about dragon quest 12 oh geez yeah i have no that's like which they announced we've heard nothing about and i'm wondering that, like, yeah. are you just waiting for the whole final fantasy parade to end you know and then at the end it'll be like a little slime like i'm here too yeah that's like i feel like dragon quest 12 and elder scrolls 6 are in the same like lounge in the clouds like, yeah. we just have no, no idea when that's going to even happen I the thing that I think is really interesting about an upcoming Dragon Quest game, and we don't know this for sure because they've been very vague about what they've said. Um, but I'm wondering, akin to like a dragon existing and going turn based, and now the Judgment series retaining the classic Yakuza like street brawling action combat. I'm curious if this shift for Final Fantasy 16 into full ass action RPG combat means that they're splitting that up with dragon quest which will be like the forever turn-based thing and then final fantasy will move into action combat and that'll be a better delineation between those two franchises because i think they were kind of occupying the same space and the merger between square and enix was kind of like let's bring these two behemoths of this style of game together um but i do think they kind of overlap in terms of like who their target audience is and i'm 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 wondering if if 12 will retain the turn-based combat yeah i i mean i think it's interesting like there's definitely you know final fantasy as we've often discussed is a series that is always deviating from what came before yeah um and i imagine we'll keep doing that especially because like you said we have dragon quest which i would imagine is very likely to retain at least a similar shape and then we also have this whole division of square making games like octopath 2 and dio and, and stuff yeah yeah which like that to me kind of it's it's almost like the uh getting top-down Zeldas alongside getting Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. You know, like, you keep sort of, like, the old style of games alive because I think that at, at a certain point, they're different kinds, they're different genres, they're different experiences. Yeah. Um. So it's not just keeping it alive for nostalgia's sake, but it's, like, 
how can we explore this space in addition to this series kind of going in its own direction? Yeah. Um, I, I just think the the audience, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I wonder if the, the appetite for turn-based combat is going to grow. You know, turn-based combat coming from Square Enix specifically is going to grow because Final Fantasy is ditching it. And will that set up Dragon Quest Twelve to be a much bigger deal than I think even anyone had anticipated? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've also said, like, you know, Eleven being... I guess the biggest hit in the West since eight in terms of Dragon Quest kind of appealing to more people in the yeah. US. I do wonder if that has set up 12 to kind of be like a smash hit. Yeah. In a way that we haven't seen. That would be amazing. Yeah. There have been, I just feel like there are a bunch of like external forces floating around Dragon Quest 12 that could like really prop it up. Uh, yeah. Which could be fun. Um, what were you going to say? I was just going to say Fire Emblem. Uh, just i feel like we've played all the tarot cards you brought up persona i brought up skyrim i did bring up mass effect already too in yeah the Noir. so i i think we're i think we're set i think we i think we've covered all our bases which maybe means it's a good time to wrap up drill dozer um <laughs> hey those are one of our tarot cards thank you for listening i want dozer likes i'll say it now i'll say it again there was actually one game in one of the nintendo directs that was focusing on indie games that was like drill dozer adjacent yeah. which i'm very excited about Honestly, if anyway. Game Freak's not going to do it, then uh, someone's got to hop to it. Yeah, hop to it. Um, thank you for listening. Into the Cast that online is your hub for everything about the show. If you like the show and want to help it grow, share it with a friend. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for those who have done that recently. It, it really, really does help us. Especially, I don't know why, but we've seen a boost in Apple Podcasts lately. So the more you review us there, it probably helps with that. Just yeah, saying. Tim Cook, is that you? <laughs> Tim. Tim, Eddie, Eddie Q. Are hey you guys, listening? I'm also a big drill dozer head, so you know, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you can also, if you really, really like the show and you're like, yes, I'm a dozer head as well, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, we have our 3DS special finally actually on the horizon. Um, that will be coming out this month, probably in the coming weeks. We'll keep you posted on that. It's a, it's a very long episode so it's a lengthy audio file dear listener but it was a lot of fun to record uh, and we also have our bonus this month that's available for everybody the super mario all-stars we decided that we're going to be including in that bonus super mario world as well yeah uh, which i'm really happy about because it's one of my favorite games probably my favorite mario game uh so that'll be a lot of fun to discuss mario is always a challenge but i think we're gonna have a great time because it's like it's so established. Like, what do you say that's interesting about Mario? But I think having all the games in one setting and kind of seeing the history of the franchise kind yeah. of, you know, game by game, I think that will be a really fun discussion. Yeah, it's been cool making my way through them. Uh, yeah. I know I know. I, I infamously posted a video on our YouTube channel that said uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 Never Again. Um, but uh, I have been playing it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, Super it's, Mario it's 2 is really fast. Yeah, it's, it's not... I would say it's it's definitely weaker than like one and three. Yeah. But it what I'm excited to explore is like how that game also impacted the series, even being a reskin of another game. Like you can definitely feel its influence. Totally. Yeah. Um and also it gave us Birdo and we're in the year of our we're in of year our Birdo. savior Birdo. So totally. pay your respects. Pay your respects and go to into the cast.online for all of our links. What's on the horizon? What are we excited about? I know the next few months have a lot of stuff coming out. I mean, June alone is what Street Fighter 6 and Final Fantasy 16, which I know is a few months away, but even still, the fact that that's like 
on the uh, i mean and of course zelda in in may yeah uh there's a lot of big stuff coming out yeah march and april both uh have a bunch of stuff that i'm excited to check out um there's a i mean the resident evil 4 remake is this oh my god i keep forgetting that that's this month yeah yeah which is like i don't i'm just so excited to get my hands on that me too i i usually save horror games for october but that might be one where i play it early just because i i want to know yeah yeah the big the big horror games that i have uh that i'm withholding from myself for october are majora's mask and uh the dead space remake but resident evil 4 there's no way in hell i'm gonna (laughs) wait until october to play that yeah the other two i can put on the back burner majora's mask i've waited forever already i can continue to wait a couple more months and and the Dead Space remake, I, I don't know. I don't have an affinity for that game, but I can't wait to find an affinity for that game in October. Yeah, me too. I I played. I I was a little bit underwhelmed by revisiting the very first one. Um, that might have just been like the mood I was in when I played it. But I, I'm excited to see that attempted again because I love space horror. I love Alien Isolation. Yeah, and the I reactions to the remake. Fusion. I don't know yeah. if, if you kept up with those reviews, but they were like glowing. glowing. Yeah. yeah. So. So I'm excited to see how that is. Yeah, but uh, pretty much every month there's just bangers for the rest of the year. I mean, I you know, looking at if you if you back on the Patreon, the Airtable level of uh, of our Patreon, uh, you can you can see the list that we we keep up of all the stuff that we're excited about. But like, we have stuff confirmed through August, and every month is bangers through August already. Uh, there's at least like one or two games per month that you and I are gonna really lose our minds over. Exciting, yeah, very exciting. Starfield hypothetically comes out in June, also. Oh. <laughs> speaking of june it's almost man i i'm almost afraid of that game coming out because i feel like i'm really excited for it but i also it just kind of feels like it's a now or never thing for bethesda like they'll be fine they're gonna make games forever yeah and i'm really excited to see what they work on because i i love bethesda but like just given the last few i mean elder scrolls blades fallout 76 <laughs> even fallout 4 to an extent it's like there really right. is like this moment of like okay can you do it again everyone's holding their breath yeah yeah and i just hope starfield can at least make half of those people happy including myself so we'll see see i did set up a savings goal in my in my uh my bank app to upgrade to uh, a series x for that game specifically uh so i'll I'll trade in my series s and and get a series x uh just for starfield just for you todd i'm doing it for you it's, it's all X. about the Todds. It's all about the Tims <laughs> on this episode of Into the Aether. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Best Buy gift card. The worst garbage, the online.